0: M S W media Thanks to Medcline for supporting the Daily Beans. If you suffer from shoulder pain or nighttime acid reflux or both, then Medcline is right for you. Get 20% off and a better night's sleep today at medcline.com/dailybeans. And thanks to Thuma for supporting the Daily Beans. Create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel at home with The Bed by Thuma. Go to thuma.co slash beans and use code beans to receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of the bed, plus free shipping in the continental U.S.
1: Hello!
0: Welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, September 26, 2022. Today, Trump lawyers met with Wyndham at Maine Justice to discuss executive privilege assertions for former top aides. A federal judge has cleared the way for the January 6th committee to access the phone records of the Arizona GOP chair, Kelly Ward. The national security and risk assessment of the Mar-a-Lago classified documents and its criminal probe have resumed after the 11th circuit told Trump where to shove it. Shaky reporting in The Washington Post says a source told them the Department of Justice career prosecutors are recommending against charging Matt Gates with sex trafficking, and a jury has convicted an insurrectionist that came face-to-face with Officer Eugene Goodman on all charges. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hi, everyone. Happy Monday. Dana's traveling today. She'll be back with me tomorrow. Later, I'll be talking with the author of Becoming Heroines and host of the new MSW Media pod, living through it. Her name is Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin. Most of you know her, I'm sure. And of course, I'll be going over the good news. As you know, we have a committee hearing Tuesday. And this weekend, Liz Cheney said during an interview at the Trib Fest in Austin that they have recovered over 800,000 new Secret Service text messages, some from unauthorized apps, and some that show people have lied to the committee about the communications. My guess is Kufari will be implicated and shown the door. He's the inspector general of the Secret Service. Also, former GOP rep and one-time 1-6 committee member told 60 Minutes about a phone call. This is Riggleman that the White House made to a rioter on January 6 during the attack on the Capitol. And today on the Sunday shows, Jamie Raskin confirmed the existence of the call, while Adam Schiff warned against making too much of it, saying they've been very careful about what they've said and what they will say. Something else really interesting happened today. Schiff went on the Sunday shows and said something about the hearing that's going to take place on Wednesday. He said, quote, but it too will be very thematic. It will tell the story about a key element of Donald Trump's plot to overturn the election. And the public will certainly learn things it hasn't seen before, but it will also understand information it has already seen in a different context by seeing how it relates to other elements of this plot. And I have an idea of what he might be talking about. Because of the the words a key element, right? He talks about this specific key element in the plot that Donald Trump came up with to overthrow the 2020 election results. And perhaps they have new info on what Raskin also referred to months ago as a significant detail or a key part of the plot. It's also something Jenny Thomas was involved in. It's also something Kelly Ward was involved in. And and as we will learn later on in the news today. A judge just ruled that the January 6th committee can have her phone records. And that key element is Gohmert's lawsuit, Representative Gohmert's lawsuit against Mike Pence. It fits the description of something we've already seen before, but we'll learn more about it and how it relates to another element of the plot, because it helps connect the Pence pressure campaign to the fraudulent elector scheme in Arizona with Ginny and the Arizona GOP. So anyway, just something interesting I thought came up today. I don't know what this hearing is going to be about. None of us do. I'm now wondering if they talk about Gohmert's lawsuit against Pence, maybe new elements of that, something new about Roger Stone. We're hearing rumors about that possibly being part of this hearing. Liz Cheney also told people at TribFest during TribFest that this won't be the the last committee hearing, so there will be more. We have those 800,000 new messages, which I'll talk about. There's a lot that could be covered. And so I'm really kind of wondering about what will be uncovered on Wednesday. I'll be live tweeting it at wrote on Twitter. So don't miss that. We have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up, remember all the way back to Friday, which is practically six years ago in news years, and I said there was some breaking news that Trump's attorneys... Corcoran, Rowley, and Parlator were seen coming out of the DOJ offices, as was Thomas Windham. That's the badass dude brought in by Garland in January to head up the 1-6 parts of the investigation. I tweeted in response to Andrew Weissman sharing that story, saying, you know what, this has to be about Eric Hirschman. Because you'll also recall there was a New York Times story that I went over about emails sent back and forth between Hirschman and Trump's lawyers where they were basically telling him to assert executive privilege about everything And he said, look, I'm not doing that without a court order, and you'd be wise not to attempt to delay or prevent my testimony, quoting witness tampering law. And at the last minute, Trump's lawyers did what he asked after weeks of him pressing them for it. Apparently, they filed for a court order, and that delayed Hirschman's testimony. I think he was supposed to testify on September 12th. I figured the two had to be related, and we already know the Department of Justice has been prepping for a privilege fight for months now. Well, we got some more info about that meeting that happened Thursday at Maine Justice from CNN. Quote, former President Donald Trump's attorneys are fighting a secret court battle to block a federal grand jury from gathering information from an expanding circle of close Trump aides about his efforts to overturn the election. The high stakes legal dispute, which included the appearance of three attorneys representing Trump in DC at the federal courthouse on Thursday afternoon, is the most aggressive step taken by the former president to assert executive privilege and attorney client privileges in order to prevent some witnesses from sharing information in the criminal investigation surrounding January 6th. The court fight over privilege, which has not been previously reported, is under seal. It's a turning point for Trump's post-presidency legal woes. How the fight is resolved could determine whether prosecutors can tear down the firewall Trump has tried to keep around his conversations in the West Wing and with attorneys he spoke to as he sought to overturn the election, and they worked to hold on to the presidency. This dispute came to light as former Trump White House advisor and lawyer Eric Hirschman received a grand jury subpoena seeking testimony. Uh, See, beans come true. I was right. Other former senior Trump White House officials, including former White House counsel Pat Cipollone and his deputy Pat Philbin, appeared before the grand jury in recent weeks after negotiating specific subjects they would decline to answer questions about because of Trump's privilege claims. Hirschman himself is not in court fighting the subpoena. Instead, Trump's lawyers are asking a judge to recognize the former president's privilege claims, and the right to confidentially talk about stuff, his dealings. Hirschman's grand jury testimony has been postponed. This judge, by the way, the judge going over these privilege claims assertions by Trump's lawyers, Chief Judge Beryl Howell of the D.C. District Court. It's still unknown if prosecutors want to use the information for possible cases against Trump or others, Trump's lawyers have expected the Justice Department to eventually seek a judge's order to compel additional testimony from White House witnesses. We already knew they were looking for additional testimony from, you know, Greg Jacob, Mark Short, Patsy Baloney, the two Pats, Philbin and Bologna. The Justice Department didn't respond to requests for comment because they never do. Under grand jury secrecy rules, the legal dispute is under seal with no public documents to show the state of play because these questions would come up in a grand jury the person would assert privilege. The person interviewing them would write that down. Then they would go to court to see if they could get a judge to compel the person to come back in and answer that question to d- determine whether it's privileged or not. The Justice Department has been girding for a legal challenge along these lines for months, CNN previously reported. In addition to Cipollone and Philbin, Greg Jacob and Mark Short have appeared before the grand jury, etc. As I was just talking about, on Thursday afternoon, Evan Corcoran, Tim Parlator, and John Rowley who worked together representing Trump, exited the courthouse accompanied by a law clerk. Parlator told reporters he was there representing a client but would give no further details, and the other lawyers declined to comment. The Trump legal team's push to broadly assert privilege has been subject to disagreement among its lawyers over legal strategy. Hirschman received a grand jury subpoena for testimony and documents related to January 6 weeks ago, and this is a little bit of the story I was telling you from the New York Times article. He was irked before his court date by what he saw as vague guidance from Trump lawyers to not share information. There's pretty clear precedent for this, though, thanks to Nixon and the criminal investigation will always outweigh executive privilege. And even though SCOTUS is ass, they are 100% so far in ruling against Donald's dumb privilege claims. So it would have to go through Beryl Howell. I have every single bean I've ever owned on her saying no privilege. And then I have uh, and, you know, I mean, except for where there there might actually be attorney-client privilege, like if Hirschman advised Trump on something, although that still might be outweighed by the criminal investigation. So we'll see. And also, you know, crime fraud exception, although that has to be, he has to be part of that, like Eastman was. And I don't think he is. I don't think he's a, he's a target here. I think he's just a witness. So there may be actual, some actual privilege claims, but for the most part, I think that... um What she'll do is she'll deny in part and grant in part, (laughs) but it'll all be under seal because it's grand jury and we'll probably never see it. Then they'll probably appeal to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is, you know, not going to rule in Trump's favor. And then they might go up to SCOTUS. And I don't think SCOTUS is going to rule in his favor either. This could pose a little bit of a delay, though. However, as we know, the DOJ can't do anything until they get all of the transcripts from the, the committee and their final report. Because, again, they have to compare it to make sure that it's consistent testimony, because you don't want any of your witnesses impeached on the stand for telling one thing to the committee and another thing to the grand jury. Or maybe even a third thing to the inspector general, because we know the Department of Justice inspector general has been investigating what what went on at the Justice Department, particularly with Clark, uh, for a very long time now, since January of 2021. Anyway, we'll see what happens, but that fight is going on. We know DOJ's been prepping for it for a while, so there won't be any delay on the DOJ side. It will all come from the Trump side, and that is his only defense, and it's always been his only defense, is to delay. Speaking of delay, I know everybody was worried about the Judge Cannon thing. We we knew it was absurd, but I wasn't worried about the delay. There were people saying it would be delayed for months. As it turns out, I calculated it. It was delayed for 16 days, so not too shabby. Up next from Kyle Cheney at Politico, who, by the way, must never sleep. A federal judge has cleared the way for the January 6th Select Committee to access the phone records of the GOP chair in Arizona, Kelly Ward. They dismissed her lawsuit to block the subpoena issued by the, the panel, the committee. In an 18 page ruling issued Thursday, Arizona based U.S. District Judge Diane Humatiwa said the committee has a legitimate reason to obtain her call logs during the weeks between Election Day 2020 and the end of Trump's term in office. A period in which Ward helped organize a set of pro Trump fraudulent electors who claimed to be Arizona's legitimate slate, even though Biden had won the state. Quote, that three month period is plainly relevant to its investigation into the causes of the January 6th attack, she ruled. The court therefore has little doubt concluding these records may aid the select committee's valid legislative purpose. She's like the 9 millionth judge to say the committee has a valid legislative purpose. In addition to her work on the slate of false electors, which included both Ward and her husband, Michael. Kelly Ward used her perch atop the GOP in Arizona to stoke false claims of election fraud in weeks following the conclusion of voting. Both Wards also joined that lawsuit against then-Vice President Pence in late December amid a campaign by Trump to pressure Pence to help subvert the election. And that's what I think they're going to talk about. I seriously think that the Gomert lawsuit is going to come up. I'll think of a punishment for me if I'm wrong, because, you know, I'm, I'm putting it all on the line there. I'm pretty sure it's that. Ward indicated her intent to appeal the ruling in a notice filed with the district court Friday morning. An attorney for her did not immediately respond to requests for comment. probably for the best. And from Andrew Desiderio, intellect, uh, intelligence of intellect officials. <laughs> intellect officials have determined Donald Trump has none. No, intelligence officials have resumed their national security risk review of top secret documents that were seized at Mar-a-Lago, and that's according to a spokesperson for the ODNI, the Office of Director of National Intelligence. The resumption, which has not been previously reported, comes after a federal appeals court delivered to Justice Department a decisive win, unanimously blocking elements of Judge Cannon's ruling that forced federal prosecutors to seek a pause in the highly anticipated intelligence review. By the way, this story came out Friday, so it's not exactly breaking because you're listening to this on Tuesday, Monday night, if you're a patron. In consultation with the Department of Justice, ODNI is resuming the classification review of relevant materials and assessment of the potential risk to national security, that would result from the disclosure of the relevant documents. That's from the ODNI. The intelligence community's assessment of national security risks stemming from Trump's possession of the classified materials has two tracks as laid out by the DNI, that's the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, in a letter to congressional committee leaders last month. The first review centers on the classification levels of the seized documents, and the second examines the national security fallout if the materials were improperly disclosed. An intelligence briefing for congressional leaders on the documents found at Mar-a-Lago was put on hold after Cannon's ruling, too, but it's unclear when that might occur. I hope it's soon, because I would love to hear what Senators Warner and Schumer and Representative Schiff and Speaker Pelosi, the four Democrats on the Gang of Eight, would have to say about what they saw in that review or heard in that briefing. Nothing in the law bars them from sharing what they're briefed on, apart from sharing actual classified intelligence, obviously. And a federal grand jury on Friday convicted QAnon believer. uh, What's his name? Doug Jensen, the guy who chased down U.S. Capitol Police Officer Eugene Goodman on January 6th. He's an Iowa man He was one of the first 10 rioters to enter the Capitol during the insurrection. He went on trial this week and was found guilty on all seven counts, including felony charges of civil disorder and assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers. His sentencing is scheduled for December 16th. Garland, Merrick Garland, batting 1,000 in jury trials. All convictions. And anyone who got an alert on their phone Friday morning that the Department of Justice had decided not to charge Matt Gates with sex trafficking probably did the same what-the-fuck-double-take that I did until I looked a little more closely at the story. First, it was written by Devlin Barrett. Now, I don't expect that name would sound familiar, but newshounds will remember he also penned an article a year ago saying the FBI had found no grand conspiracy in the 1-6 attack on the Capitol. A week later, the Justice Department hit the Oath Keepers with seditious conspiracy charges the granddaddy of conspiracy charges. Second, the source in the article is anonymous, which is pretty normal, except the way the article is written makes it clear that the source is not from within the Department of Justice. Now, several people disagree with me. A lot of folks have reached out and said, you know, the DOJ does sometimes leak, and that's cool, but they really haven't in these investigations since Garland has taken over. But let me read this carefully written passage to you from the Washington Post article by Devlin Barrett. Quote, career prosecutors have recommended against charging Matt Gates in a long-running sex trafficking investigation, telling Justice Department superiors that a conviction is unlikely, in part because of the credibility issues with two central witnesses, according to people familiar with the matter. Senior department officials have not made a final decision on whether to charge Gaetz, but it's rare for such advice to be rejected, these people told the Washington Post. We break that down a little bit. Career prosecutors have recommended against charging Matt Gates in a long-running sex trafficking investigation. Does that mean not charging him with sex trafficking? Not charging him at all? Not charging him with something else in the sex trafficking investigation? Then it goes on to say telling Justice Department superiors that a conviction is unlikely in part because of credibility issues with two central witnesses. Which two witnesses? His girlfriend? The minor? Greenberg? Because Greenberg was hit with sex trafficking and pled guilty. So is Greenberg and this other witness the only evidence they have? I'm not sure. It doesn't say. And then, of course, according to people familiar... And because they talk about career prosecutors recommended according to two people familiar, they're not talking about the career prosecutors. Had Barrett's source been the DOJ, he would have said according to DOJ officials or according to career prosecutors. My immediate reaction to this at first is there's no way that the DOJ leaked this because first, DOJ does not make any overt investigatory announcements within 60 days of an election. And letting someone off the hook would fall into that category. It doesn't just have to be negative, overt, investigatory steps. And who would benefit from a positive, overt, investigatory announcement? Who would? And this DOJ, like I said, has been leak-proof. Also, there are two specialists that were sent to Florida specifically to assist the career prosecutors, and they're not mentioned at all, nor have they been sent back to D.C. that we know of, and there's no follow-up reporting on them. At all. Further, aside from the glaringly wrong headline about no one six conspiracy, Barrett also makes an appearance in Trump's filing in Florida over the Mar-a-Lago documents. The guy who wrote this article was cited by Trump's lawyers in a footnote. The Trump team writes, "Quote: The government is apparently not concerned with unauthorized leaks regarding the contents of purported classified records." See, for example, Devlin Barrett's story with Carol Lennig on foreign nations' nuclear capabilities. Unquote. So the Trump team leaks to Devlin Barrett, he publishes, and then a week later, the Trump team cites the leak as a reason not to trust the Department of Justice. Hmm. <laughs> seems awfully convenient. Also, Capitol Hunters on Twitter pointed out that Devlin Barrett almost tanked the DOJ probe, so zero people from the department would talk to him about Gates at this point. Another weird thing, this story is being shared all over right-wing media, including Chuck Johnson. Chuck Johnson is the uh, Holocaust denier Matt Gates took to the State of the Union. And his allies, Ryan Fournier of the Students for Trump, etc. So who's more likely to give this story to the media? the Department of Justice, who never leaks and it's within 60 days of an election, or someone on Team Gates just 49 days from Election Day. Also, the story is careful to only talk about the sex trafficking charge. He's also under investigation for statutory rape, bribery, conspiracy, possible identity theft, computer fraud, wire fraud, but no mention of any of that. And finally, when I tweeted my deep skepticism of the sourcing for this story, do you know who retweeted me? Devlin Barrett. So the only thing I'm going to take away from this story with confidence is the part where he says, quote, senior department officials have not made a final decision on whether to charge Gates, unquote. Quite possibly the most confident and unrefuted line in the story and what seems like the author hedging against possibly being proven wrong again. All right, that is the news. I will be right back with Elizabeth McLaughlin to discuss her new podcast, Living Through It. The trailer is available now. Wherever you get your podcast. please listen and subscribe. And we'll be right back after this quick message from one of our awesome sponsors.
1: After these messages, we'll be right back.
0: Hey, everybody. It's AG. You know how much sleep means to me. And your bedroom deserves a refresh. I gutted my whole house. But sometimes when you remodel stuff, you leave out the bedroom. But that's where we spend a third of our time. And now is the perfect time to elevate the most important room in your home with Thuma. Thuma practices an intentional, less is more design philosophy for the bedroom. It's chill. It's calm. It's ohm. It's so awesome. Clean lines, subtle curves, lifestyle enhancing details. Thuma proves that simplicity is the truest form of sophistication and peace. I love everything Thuma makes. My favorite thing is the bed. It's handcrafted from eco-friendly, high-quality upcycled wood. Very important. You'll find beautiful, unique variations in the grain The minimalist design features Japanese joinery and it helps elevate any space. It's super supportive of your mattress. It's breathable. It's made to minimize noise and it creates space. It opens up the area. I love mine. It looks amazing. It takes my entire bedroom to the next level. I'm so happy I decided to buy the bed. Made for how you live, the bed by Thuma is backed with a lifetime warranty. Ships straight to your door in three easy to maneuver boxes. Takes about five minutes to put together yourself with no tools required. I did it. It was very simple. Along with the bed, Thuma offers other bedroom essentials to elevate the bedtimes. The nightstand, the side table, and the tray are perfect complements to the bed. Create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel suite but at home with the bed by Thuma. And right now, go to thuma.co slash beans to receive a $25 credit toward your purchase of the bed plus free shipping in the continental U.S. Again, that's thuma.co slash beans, T-H-U-M-A dot C-O slash beans for a $25 credit. Everybody, welcome back. I am honored and happy to be joined today by my friend, author of the book, Becoming Heroines, Unleashing Our Power for Revolution and Rebirth, and the host of the new podcast, Living Through It, which will be premiering on October 4th, which is a Tuesday. Please welcome
1: Elizabeth Cronise-McLaughlin. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, hello. It's nice to be back with you and, and to be working with you. I'm very excited about this endeavor. Yes,
0: this is going to be really, really amazing. I'm really excited about your first episode. Like I said, it drops on October 4th. It's called Living Through It. Tell us who your first guest is and what we can expect.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, our first guest is Malcolm Kenyatta, who, uh, as you know, is a state representative in Pennsylvania, former history-making U.S. Senate candidate, first out Black gay man to run for the U.S. Senate. He's also a dear friend of mine, so we had a really wide-ranging conversation that I just can't wait to share with the audience about the upcoming election and his new Endeavor Agenda Pack, which is out there doing work for abortion rights and LGBTQ rights, and he had an awful lot to say about his hope for future generations and uh, his hope for my kids and his kids, should he choose to have them. So, and so, yeah, I'm really excited. It's going to be a really fantastic opening episode and really setting the stage for what our theme is on this pod, which is really how do we live through these incredibly challenging and difficult and often traumatic times that we're in and still continue fighting for a better future?
0: Yeah, it used to be just like we weren't living through history, and now we are. And it's it can be very tiring. And I know that there's a lot we can do for ourselves. And you work so hard. I mean, you've got The book, which is an incredible book. If you don't have it, it's called Becoming Heroines. Everybody needs to check it out. You've got, you know, you did Resistance Live for so long. You did the Gaia Leadership Project. You're still doing, I mean, like all of these things to help. And I I feel like the central theme is helping us live through it. And that's why I'm so thankful for this podcast that you're going to be doing, because a lot of us really need a hand and could really use advice from somebody who, and, and a mom, somebody who's doing it all and a lot.
1: Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons why if I was going to do a podcast again and, you know, you and I talked about this, one of the things that to me was really important is that it cut new ground because, you know, we have so much documentation right now. And, you know, Daily Beans to me is the epic part of this on a daily basis of what's happening. Right. And to me... um, You know, you've got so many incredible guests who do a lot of the same things that I've done historically, right? Like legal analysis and political analysis. And I still do some of that. But to me, as somebody who is a recovering lawyer, I don't like to say ex-lawyer, but you know, like recovering lawyer, um, and somebody who really spent a decade doing leadership work in corporate environments, combined with this kind of lifelong activist story that I have, I really wanted to give people a chance to hear from people who notwithstanding the current moment, are really still trying to move the needle. Because I think what we all need in the midst of all of this trauma is a real pathway to making change where we live. And I mean that literally, because I do think so much of politics is local and so much organizing these days needs to happen in our own communities. But to me, this kind of nexus of strategies for leadership, strategies for survival and hope where we can find it. Um, it's kind of a sweet spot that we haven't really seen very much of recently. And, you know, I think especially when we're talking about trauma, you know, and, and that's particularly true for folks like you and I who have lived through things and kept going and survived things that, that were incredibly painful and difficult. We got to help other people. That to me is part of the obligation of surviving, right? You got to help other people to find their own way through it. And so that's one of the things that we're really going to be aiming to do here. And I'm not I'm not being Pollyannaish about it. I want to be really clear on that. You know, Sarah Kendzior is going to be on the pod. Her new book talks about the danger of opium. You know, in very specific terms. I'm really looking forward to asking her some questions about this because you know hope can be dangerous in times of autocracy. And yet I also think that it's one of the things that we need to keep propelling us forward. So these are going to be complicated and interesting conversations, and uh, and not. One sided, not Pollyannish, not overly optimistic, but really things that are designed to to meet the moment head on. You know, I don't want people to think that we're going to be you know glossing over it, whitewashing it in any way. I think what we're really after is how do we face the challenge down and and make a difference and make it better.
0: Yeah, and and it's pragmatism, right? You know, I I I get called, I get lumped in with the hopium uh, peddler crew because. I tend to put positive spins on my facts. And then, you know, that's just that's who I am. It's a cope. And it's also to me what I what I think is real. And I know that you had a really great conversation with Malcolm Kenyatta about hope and courage and and how there is a difference between blind faith and pragmatic optimism. And I think that when people listen to that first episode, they're really going to get a taste of that. And you're right. Like when we try to do big national stuff, whether it's legislation, major elections, Supreme Court reform, justice and accountability for, you know, former criminal presidential administrations I could think of. Things take a long time. It's hard to move that needle. And people really do need to see the impact that they have more quickly. And that is, I think, what's amazing about what you're going to be talking about is more of this local stuff, grassroots, rubber meets the road, stuff on the ground, where you can do you know small things that will have a big impact that you'll be able to see immediately and that kind of helps fuel us you know and i think that that's something that you really like to focus on which i love
1: yeah i mean and i will say i you know to to give credit where credit is due a lot of my perspective on this comes from historic black power movements you know the black panther party was very big on something that we don't talk about very often right now but that i've been kind of doing a deep dive into and then i'm going to talk to some other people about on the pod which is namely the concept of dual power that when institutions are failing you or they're not showing up necessarily in the way that you want or where they're neglecting you in particular ways can you build parallel structures in your own community that that fosters survival and resilience you know a lot of people don't realize that school lunch in this country emerged from the black panther party doing free lunch and free meals in their in their own communities in Oakland and elsewhere and so one of the things that I'm I'm also really focused on in this from a practical and pragmatic standpoint, because we can all differ about the perspective outcomes, right? Like, I can look at the DOJ and think one thing, and you can look at the DOJ and think another, and various there can think of other, take other perspectives. And that's one of the brilliant things about so many great minds and activists working on these issues is that you know, we can all have these incredibly robust conversations about what's wrong and how we wish things might move and what might change. And we can levy pressure in different directions. Like all of that is needed. The The key thing that I just feel we really need more of right now is people learning how to build resilience where they live, learning how to build mutual aid communities where they live, learning how to find people to be in community with, um, who maybe are not historically the people that you are in community with. And so, one of the things that also was really important to me about these conversations, and Malcolm was really big on this, is that, you know, like, hope is a renewable resource. That's actually the title of our first episode, which comes directly from a quote from him. He also said courage is a renewable resource. And I think if we if we can find focus on hope and courage in community, we're going to be able to get through even the darkest times In in mutual furtherance of survival, you know, another friend of mine, Dana Lynn Knuckles, always says survival should be a shared burden. Uh, And and I think that's right. So, you know, those are some themes that we're really going to be diving deep on, drilling down on and and working to shift, hopefully.
0: Yeah. And I've noticed, you know, whether you're running for city council or finding a city council person that you want to support in an election or a state house member for example, that will use your funds when they come down from the federal government for shit that you care about and not for shit that you don't want. You know, for example, funding the water board for clean water in your in your jurisdiction, your local area, or ensuring that certain books are available, all books are available to certain schools and librarians, or, you know, just to to make sure that you're taking the, you know, your local government is taking the, the measures that you want to see done so we don't have to wait for the federal government to do it is so powerful. And and again, it's like, like I remember, gosh, I think it was like 2009, I wanted to lose 50 pounds. And seeing that end goal was such, it was overwhelming. But seeing a, a couple pounds a week was like, yes, okay, I'm getting somewhere. And I feel like we're leaving out that couple pounds a week when we focus only on national issues like that. And that's what I'm so much looking forward to these these practical things that you can do that, that give you results that keep you up and keep you in the game. And of course, always, like you say, and I talked to you a million times about this, rest when you need to.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the other things that we're gonna be focusing on is not just the sort of political and the activist bent of things or the, for that matter, the bent on, on key issues. Because for instance, we're interviewing Drew Dixon who is one of Russell Simmons victims. And we're going to talk about Me Too and where we are in Me Too with the backlash and how all of that is impacting women daily right now who live through Me Too and men for that, because I never like to leave men out of sexual violence discussions, as well as non-binary people. But I think we also need to have a conversation about how some of these these big picture issues are playing out in our own lives than where we live. But yeah, you know, I mean, the local stuff is incredibly key right now. And I think that you know in addition to the kind of incremental stuff let's not forget that you know so much of the way in which the far right has weaponized states rights also means that where we live at, the experience of our daily lives is actually impacted in very significant ways right now by our local elected officials right who's in our state houses who's on our city councils who's running our school boards right and so all of that put together, I think, is really key for um, for the things that we're going to be cracking down on. And, yes, incremental change matters like it really does.
0: Yeah. And our state assemblies and state legislatures, state Senate houses are going to be key in protecting our votes to prevent the you know, if Moore v. Harper goes through the Supreme Court. Yep. we can still protect our votes locally. It's just it's yeah. so important. Well, I am so excited about this. I mean, you know, all you and me going all the way back to our first show in Largo. I know. <laughs> I was thinking about
1: that the other night. It's so <laughs> funny how things change. You know, I mean, you and I have both been kind of on this wild political public path now for like I mean, I think for me it's like 6 years now, which is crazy. So, um but you know, it's that this is the wonderful thing these conversations are ongoing, right? They're ongoing on podcasts. They're ongoing on like MSW media, they're ongoing, you know, in our own homes and in our own communities. And so, you know, I, I think that the, the intimate conversations and the relationships of trust that we build right now are so endemic and important to our survival that, you know, they need to, they need to keep carrying on. So I'm glad we're still here.
0: Yes. And not on alert, we're not just surviving, we're thriving. I'm really excited. This drops on Tuesday, October 4th. It's called Living Through It. Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin. First guest, Malcolm Kenyatta. It's going to be amazing. I hope everybody tunes in, subscribes, follows, do whatever you need to do because, you know, the cool thing is the way that Apple, first of all, Apple is the only, is like the, the only charts that anyone ever pays attention to you. And the best way to get up on the charts is for people to subscribe and follow Living Through It, which you can do now. There's a trailer out there for you to listen to. And uh, that helps knock the fascists off the charts. There's nothing fun. There's nothing more fun in my life than like, than beating Levin or uh, you know Ben Shapiro or Dan Bongino or whatever in the charts. So let's help. Let's help living through it. Do that. Again, subscribe and follow wherever you get your pods. It's been so good to see you, my friend. I know we will be talking again soon about a lot of of this stuff. This, this these conversations that we need to be having. Elizabeth Cronise McLaughlin. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. I used to be one of the 70 million Americans suffering from sleep problems. I tried countless solutions. The best thing I've found for my shoulder pain is MedCline. If you suffer from shoulder pain because you're a side sleeper or if you have nighttime acid reflux or GERD or both, the MedCline patented pillow system is designed to cushion your body in a sleeping position that is supremely comfortable. It is doctor-recommended, clinically proven to provide effective acid reflux and shoulder pain relief, helping you get a better night's sleep. As a matter of fact, 95% of patients reported an overall improvement in sleep quality when using MedCline. As soon as my head hits the MedCline pillow, I almost instantly fall asleep. It's magical. MedCline sleep systems are true medical devices, not simple foam wedges. They're FDA-registered, doctor-recommended, clinically proven to provide relief. The patented arm pocket allows for comfortable side sleeping the entire night. You're enveloped in side sleeping comfort. It's delightful. MedKline's medical grade gel infused foam is built to last. It provides cooling comfort and an exceptional night's sleep for anyone using it. For those that also suffer from acid reflux and heartburn, MedKline's reflux relief system is proven to reduce exposure to harmful stomach acid by 87% better than just a bed wedge. Put an end to your nighttime discomfort. You can rediscover a good night's sleep with MedKline. Now, get 20% off when you go to medcline.com slash dailybeans. That's 20% off and a better night's sleep today at medcline.com slash dailybeans. 20% off, that's M-E-D-C-L-I-N-E dot com slash dailybeans. You'll be glad you did. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? near. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, Halloween photos, it's that time of the year again, although I accept Halloween photos all year round, especially if it's your pod pets in Halloween costumes. And if you don't have pod pet tax to write in and tell us your good news story or your confession or whatever you're sending in, you can send a link to an adoptable pet in your area. We would love to hear about that too. If you have a shout out for somebody wonderful in your life, send it in to us. You can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on Contact. First up from Brittany, pronouns she and her. Hi, ladies. I've started to listen to you every weekday morning to keep up to date with the Velveeta Voldemort's traitorous antics. You've helped me explain the legal wranglings to my wife. Speaking of my wife, she is my person. I've never been one to have a lot of friends or a best friend for that matter. We've been married for eight years on September 30th, and she is the only best friend I've ever had or wished to have. She's the most intelligent, loving, and loyal person I've ever known. She's a great mom to our three dogs and four cats and we will do whatever it takes to ensure our family is taken care of. She is my love, and I don't know if I would be here today without her constant support through mental health struggles I've had in my 30s while she was battling her own. Words just can't express the depths of my feelings for her. Thank you again for being my daily update and bringing us some good news every day. For my pod pet tax, our new dog Charlie, Choco Lab Mix, meeting her new brother and sister, Remington and Callie, our oldest cats, Tigger, black and white, and Riversong and our babies, one-year-old brothers, Archie on the right and Percy on the left. Last but not least, I was in tears when Adnan Sayed was freed. I wanted to give all the props to Rabia Chaudhry. Warrior in the dictionary has her picture next to it. Love to all and vote, vote, vote. Brittany, first of all, what a wonderful bunch of stuff to say about your incredible partner. Thank you for that. I'm going to look at your pets, but I just wanted to let you know, you know, I, that day that they freed Adnan... I was messaging back and forth with Rabia and just in tears as well and just so much joy and congratulations and thanks and gratitude for, for everyone's work on the Undisclosed pod for, for Adnan. So thank you for that. Thanks to Rabia. And then look, look at these doges. Hi, Bubbas. And your little tuxedo kitty and the little gray tabby and then the gingers so beautiful. You have like one of each. Gray tabby, ginger tabby, full ginger, tuxedo. You just don't have a void. But then you have a choco dog, so that's quite cool too. Look at all these guys. That is a heck of a family you have there, Brittany. Congratulations. Next up from Lee, no pronouns given. Also, a shit kid say misheard lyrics. The first time my daughter heard Blue, the song clip you play for the Flip It Blue segment, she heard, I'm blue, got feet of a guy. (laughs) which has now replaced my own misheard. I'm blue in need of a guy. Excellent. For pet tax, find my best girl, 10-pound purebred super mutt Sally. She was abandoned, pregnant with seven puppies and rescued by amazing Jake's Wish Dog Rescue. That's on the internet at jakeswishrescue.org in San Martin, California. The instant I saw that floppy ear, I knew she was my dog. She's the sweetest, chillest, cuddliest pup, and we're so lucky she became part of our family. Lee, this is so great. Also, please enjoy two Halloween photos. Yes. First, the two-story, 16-foot candy chute that I constructed last year to avoid crowds. Our neighborhood is the place for trick-or-treat. My daughter attended it for three and a half hours, launching nearly 2,000 pieces of candy. One per person. Wow. You get a lot of trick-or-treaters, Lee. The second is just a funny one from a few years ago when my husband was traveling for work over Halloween. We still found a way to include him in the family costume Daddy on a Stick. <laughs> Thanks again for all you do. Okay, look at this dog. This is cute. Look at this baby. Oh, rescued by amazing Jake's Wish Dog Rescue, jakeswishrescue.org. Oh, what a sweet baby. Oh, look at this. The candy shoot is impressive. What a cool little house, too, I have to say. Oh, <laughs> look at your down on a stick. That's so great. Beautiful costumes, by the way. Aladdin and Jasmine. Gorgeous. Absolutely love the blue scarf coming out of the lamp. Very clever. With oh, with a side strap, too. It's a crossbody lamp. Very, very convenient. All right, next up from Shannon, pronouns she and her. Hello, Leguminani twins. Triplets, if and when Amy takes a break from being a Hollywood superstar. I don't know. I'm going to have to text her and get her to call in here one of these days. I don't have any good news per se, other than I now have a legitimate excuse for my constant procrastination. Excellent. When the Crimes and Crimes and More Crimes t shirt was announced, I was ecstatic. I had to get one. However, because procrastination should be my middle name, I did not. When I heard about the problems with the vendor, I felt a little better about not jumping right on that. When you said we were working things out, I decided to go ahead and order. My shirt came in the right size, and quite quickly, I love it. Thanks for everything y'all do to keep us informed in a way we can easily understand. P.S. I recently lost my old man, Convict, around the same time you did. He was 17 and every bit the best kitty ever. He loved a good pile of clothes. I'm sorry about Convict. That's a great name, though, Shannon. Oh, look at the crime shirt. 18 U.S. Code Section 371 and 793 and 2071 and 1519 and 1512C2. Let me know, everyone who gets your Crimes and Crimes and Crimes shirt, you go out into the public, let me know if anybody says, what the fuck is that? Because I'm dying to know how people respond to this shirt. It's just so fucking cryptic, but I love it. Oh, look, you know what? Your baby here, convict, looks like my Ned. I had Ned for a good 12 years. He's a gray tabby. He had a little spot on his nose and everything. Oh, what a honey. I'm so sorry for your loss. They're always with us though, Shannon. All right, next up from Jen, pronoun she and her. Good news, I just signed up to be a Patreon. Looking forward to the bonus content for such a great price. I also have a confession and a correction. First of all, before we get to that, Jen, thank you so much. It's because of our patrons that we're able to do this show and pay excellent, excellent, excellent wages. I'm talking quadruple, triple, quadruple, like mega awesome wages and bonuses and 401ks and health plans. So thank you for your contribution. Um, seriously, you make this possible. It took me months, Jen says, to put two and two together that MSW Media is short for Mueller, she wrote. I might never have had it if it weren't for another listener who wrote in a couple weeks ago to say that since joining your Patreon, they've gone back and started listening to MSW from the beginning. I thought, all of the podcasts on MSW Media? Wow! Then, ding, 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 it hit me. You'd think that since I have an acronym land, I live in acronym land at work, I would have figured it out sooner. Do you work for the government, Jen? The correction is also a confession about me not being too bright. I wrote in a few weeks ago and included photos of my three dogs, Shiba Inu, Pit Mix, and Chow, Pyrenees, German Shepherd. Near the conclusion, it said, "'It can be tough having three dogs in triple digits.'" I guess I was used to whining about the triple-digit temperatures when I meant to say double digits, as their ages are 11, 12, and 13, and their health is already declining. If only dogs lived to be triple digits. Right? Right, Jen? Ugh, oh, they're just little tragedies. Thanks for letting me get that off my chest. And of course, for all you ladies' is awesome reporting, can't wait to attend a happy hour event soon. Can't wait to see you there, Jen. Make sure to raise your hand and say hello. For my pet tax, instead of more pics of my puppers, I've included some of our past foster dogs. One, collage of about a quarter of them. Two, my gallery wall of individual collages of each foster. Three, I fell in love with this sweet, beautiful gray pit bull while walking shelter dogs and convinced a rescue to let me foster her. Little did any of us know she was prego. She had nine puppies. Holy mackerel. Okay, so your whole entire life is dedicated to being wonderful to dogs, and this absolutely blows my mind. Look at these babies. Oh, Holly, Sinatra, Getty, Riley, Tara, Sheila, Kobe. Oh, (laughs) Bo. And those, that black and white photo wall is absolutely beautiful. And then look at these puppies. Oh my God. Oh my God. I want them all. So adorable. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for being a good dog mom. And, um, Thanks for being a patron too. I really appreciate that. And last from J.D. Sanderson. Hello, Daily Beans. My name is J.D. Sanderson. I'm an independently published science fiction author. It's been a pretty depressing time to do what I do as economic woes have caused sales to slump. However, I always get a laugh from your podcast. Hearing your take on things makes me smile while I work. News should always come with a dose of swearing. Thanks and keep it up. Fuck yeah, it should, J.D. And also, I mean, science fiction, being any kind of fiction author has to be very difficult because right now, reality... I mean, I don't know how to top it. Every time I sit down and try to think of, you know, like I'll read some shit from some asshole, some MAGA fuck on Twitter, and I'll be like, it's just a complete lie. You know, like Joe Biden uh, is a fascist with, you know, supported, I don't know, Fidel Castro, something dumb, something just ridiculous. And I'm like, you know what, we should start making up lies about the Republicans but nothing I can come up with is as bad as what they actually do. <laughs> I'm like, they're fascist. Nope, that's real. They lied about, nope. They tried to overthrow the government. Yeah, no, they did that. They stole classified documents. Nope, they did that. They got Mohammed bonesaw Like, I can't come up with a lie that's worse than the truth. So it's got to be tough to be a writer this day and age. But JD, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Keep plugging away. It's going to get better. People are going to need that science fiction. They're going to need that escape. I promise. Thank you, everybody, for sending in your good news. This is an incredible batch of good news today. Keep sending it in. We love it. And uh, Dana will be back tomorrow. She says hello. She misses you. She's traveling. Her flight got moved or something, so she couldn't record today, but she definitely sends her love. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Mm, I can't think of anything, but we'll be back tomorrow. I think Monday is going to be a pretty heavy news day. So. Buckle up and uh, get your champagne ready, because I think the good news is going to keep coming. All right, everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, vote Blue over Q, and bring someone with you! <laughs> I've been A.G., and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane